Welcome to Biz 503, where today's episode is Welcome to Cartlandia. I'm Stephen Green, Community Director at Elevate Capital, co-hosting with Perry Gruber of Copiosis. Stay tuned for a look at behind-the-scenes food cart life and why folks should or shouldn't open a food cart. Joining us now, two experts on PDX food carts. Stephen Schaumler, radio host, Tasty Tuesday, here on PRP, and the author of Portlandia Food Cart Story. And Brett Burmeister, Editor-in-Chief, Food Carts, Portland.com. So, why should we care about food carts? Food carts are the ultimate entrepreneurial startup. You can open one cheaply, you can sell your wares, you can feed people uh, your mom's recipe, your grandma's recipe, maybe it's your recipe. It's a way to start. You can think about it in the sense of an immigrant culture, trying to start something, you know, we have a little bit of money, this is a way for me to get going. Or you can think of it as a, a way an entrepreneurial can test a theory. Would the city really like to eat big, fat, juicy pork sandwiches? Well, yes, they do. Things like that. It's a foray into the broader food, drink. It's also very important to the tourists industry here in Portland. A lot of people come to Portland and one of the things on their to-do list besides have a donut and have a beer is go to a food cart. So it's a big economic engine here in the Portland area, our whole food cart scene. What was the genesis of this whole scene that we're talking about? Back in the mid-80s, well, I mean, we've always had food carts. The first food carts came along the Oregon Trail. We called them chuck wagons. You know, it was around the mid-80s that our food cart lot model kind of started where vendors who had licenses, they could sell to the public. They started approaching the parking lot owners in downtown Portland, wanting to rent space on their private property, vend out to the sidewalk. Downtown Portland had a bunch of people in it that needed food. And here we are today with 200 and some vendors here in downtown, feeding the workers, feeding the cubicle workers, but also feeding the tourists. I would say here in summer, it's a 60-40, maybe even a 730. There's more tourists than there are traditional businessmen. The Great Recession had a lot of increase in food cart owners because people ended up with nothing left to lose. And they thought, what the heck, I will, I'll go for it. I'll give this a shot because what I was doing has just ended. And then people that were property owners said, well, I'm not going to be building a building here for a while. I'm not going to be developing. I might as well get rent from these people. So that, as Brett said, there's been around for a long time. Just had, had someone on Tasty Tuesday radio show. Her first food cart, she opened in 2000. Second one in 2002. Third one in 2016. Big explosion during the Great Recession. So something strange has happened in Portland that doesn't or didn't or hasn't seemed to happen in other cities where you have ordinances that require food carts to locate in certain distances from brick and mortar restaurants or they can't even be in certain neighborhoods because of the restaurant, maybe it's the restaurant lobby or the power that they have in City Hall or something like that in other cities. Can you explain what the difference is between those other cities and Portland? Well, A, Portland's wild, wild west. You know, we are liberal back in the 80s. Were you coming downtown? Probably not. In the mid-80s, you know, late 70s, downtown Portland wasn't a destination. So when these small businesses started arriving on these parking lots, we started creating community space. So the urban planners out there looked at that and said, I don't like that because I'd rather have a parking garage. I'd rather have a tower. I'd rather have something more. But there are 10,000 people on that sidewalk every day. That's not a bad thing. And so the city kind of let Multnomah County manage it. And they didn't react. We didn't write any laws. We didn't write any regulations against it. Other than the one law that's on the books about being in the right of way on the sidewalks on the street. That's why we have the carts, not the trucks, like in many other cities. You are correct. Portland has always been at the leading edge of this, of street food. Whereas other cities, like Dallas, Fort Worth, one of the biggest cities in in the nation, only has like 50 food trucks, 60 food trucks. We have 800 as you stated. It's really interesting how over the past six years since the Koji truck launched in LA that America has started to embrace it. We've been doing
doing it for a while. The idea that restaurant lobbies, I think, are reason in some parts of the country that there isn't more food trucks than a lot of opposition. And to me, that's uh, very anti-capitalistic. Restaurants do not compete for my dollar when it comes to food carts. Food carts don't compete for restaurant dollar. When I want a restaurant experience, there's no way in the world I'm going to do a food cart and vice versa. But it is sad to me that there's a great, really robust food trailer scene in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. We have LA or some other places that actually have good food trucks. Minneapolis, Washington, D.C. Obviously, every major city has it, except for Chicago. Miami has a vibrant food truck business. Uh, San Antonio. Every city kind of now has embraced it. It's more the suburban cities in those cities. Daily, you hear about Roanoke passing a law against food trucks or passing a law to promote food trucks. Yeah, and, Be- Beaverton just had a meeting recently yeah. to figure out what they're going to do with food trucks. Food yeah. That was going to be my next question is what about the other cities in Oregon? Most other cities in Oregon have embraced it to some level. You know, there's a food truck lot in Bend. There's food trucks in Medford, which is pretty darn cool. You know, Gresham and Beaverton were anti-food trucks for many, many years. Do you know why? Well, the mayor of Gresham owns a restaurant, so we could we could surmise <laughs> about that. But everybody doesn't want to be Portland. And so there's that reaction of like, I don't want to be just like Portland. We want to do something different because we're not Portland. And I went to planning meetings at Beaverton where the city planner sat there and it's like, I live down the street from a food car lot in Portland and I don't want that in Beaverton. It's like, wait a minute, you don't even live in the city and you're planning for the city? So again, I think there was that. Now, six years after Portland really kind of put Portland on the map with street food and as part of just this broader, amazing food culture, these other big suburbs, big cities in Oregon are starting to embrace it. I don't agree necessarily how they're embracing it. At least they're coming along. One of the things I love about this topic today is as someone who works with startups here in town, technology, consumer apparel, consumer goods, we're always talking about, you know, how do you, how do you start a business and get it rolling fast? And we call things MVPs, minimum vile products. That's not new in the food world. These food carts, that's exactly what you've done here. Like we're not putting $200,000 into TIs into somebody else's pocket. We're not signing some long lease. Like I make better pita bread than anyone else <laughs> and they're going to come and buy it. All right, let's throw a little bit of money on the table and we'll find out next week. I love it when a food cart goes uh, when they start up and I'm there on day one and then they flourish as a food cart. And then for a lot of food carters, the dream is to go brick and mortar. And if that's their dream to be there and actually eat at the restaurant, Paul and Elizabeth moved from Florence, Italy to Portland, Oregon to open a food cart with the goal of having a brick and mortar restaurant. And today you can eat at that brick and mortar restaurant. And that for me is just a really cool thing to have happen, whether it's Gigi's Cafe or um, uh, we choose to be Gofra Gourmet or Galfrey Gourmet, if you uh, depending on how you think it's supposed to be pronounced or a Cajun life. To me, it's a really fulfilling thing to see someone make that entire startup journey. And some people are making it part of their business plan. And you look at what Kim Malik's done with Salt and Straw. Salt and Straw was was not bricks and mortar place. She started out, I'm going to have a cart that you roll around and get this product in people's mouths. And now rolling out in not only other places in Portland, but in California as well. I would actually throw Lardo in that more because Lardo actually had a food cart in a food cart lot for a year. And that that's the example I used earlier of like Rick came to town wondering, hmm, will Portland eat these big juicy pork sandwiches? And we did. We ate all of them. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's why it's four restaurants, five restaurants. There is another aspect of this though. I used to put it in the thirds. Third as people who walked into us with a business plan and they have an MBA and they know what they're doing. Another third is really like an immigrant culture or a culture that, hey, this is what we do. This is what grandma did. This is what mom did. And then the other third that Steve talked about, you know, the idea of like, I have $10,000 left in my account. I'm going to open up a food cart and serve meatballs. Now, all three of those are wonderful models uh, yeah. and very entrepreneurial, very by the seat of your pants, etc. Many of them are successful. Some of them are not. It's just the nature of the beast. But I know four or five people that I'm friends with who have had food carts for 10 years, 15 years, 30 years. That's just what they wanted to do. There have been expansion talks, but really this is what I'm happy with. I think that's cool, you know, that you're able to put your kid through college, pay for healthcare. And with 
maturity of uh, scene here in Portland, you mentioned a startup, you know, it's no longer good enough to just make great food. You have to know, you have to have your branding down, your marketing down. I'll often walk up to a cart and I'll go, you know, inside I'll wince and I'll just go, that's dead cart walking. The things that cause the failures are very, very similar. You know, a menu that's huge or too many items or the menu just doesn't make any sense. So it's not enough to make good, great food. You actually have to have a business plan that makes sense and got to nail your branding, got to nail your marketing. I appreciate the Portland scene because the food is so diverse and so high quality for the most part. But I also remember back in the day when a food cart was a roach coach that would drive up to the job site and across the street from my house and I'd walk out and get like a fried something that I didn't even know what it was, but it was good and it filled the belly. Today, you can get pretty much any really nice cuisine from a food cart. How did that happen? Is that just the market changing as more people come into the market and try and find their niche or did something else happen? We've had some gems in the street food scene over the last 20 years. People doing brilliant cuisine, Bosnian, Czech, etc. Sitting next to the hot dog cart. It was really in about 2008, 2009 that, you know, a lot of a lot of people out of chef school or whatever couldn't open up a restaurant or couldn't even get a job in a restaurant. And so they brought those skills. They brought those recipes. They brought that passion for food. That's the other thing. You know, food is love. Food is everything. And they brought that to the food cart. We doubled in size in two years, uh, went from 300 to 600 in two or three years and expanded to the east side. And it became, as Stephen said, it became a situation where you had to be better than the next guy. You couldn't just serve a taco. You had to serve maybe a Yucatan style taco. Or instead of thinking about it in, I'm trying to feed my customer who might only want a taco. What about presenting them something that nobody else has had in the sense of what Nong's Kamangai did? Presenting them this a very simple dish, chicken rice, Thai, but the best chicken rice you'll ever have. And so that's how we, I believe we really kind of changed the model and yeah, gourmet food out of food trucks. Yeah. And I think the diversity has given people permission as far as the different styles of food. When I say diversity, has given people permission to say, I can make it happen. Tommy Shop just opened Burmasphere. He went to a restaurant down in San Francisco. He had Burmese food. He fell in love with it. And so he decided four years ago that he would open a food cart that serves Burma food. And a couple weeks ago, he finally opened it. There is not a restaurant in Portland that serves Burmese food because that's his passion. And when people do different food in Portland, it's because it's their passion. If it's just your business strategy and not your passion, that usually fails. It's interesting that you mentioned just the failure of food carts. One that used to be a food cart that I think went into brick and mortar and then failed was uh, Big Ass Sandwiches that was in the news recently. Wonderful sandwiches. So what is the turnover rate of a food cart? Is this something that anyone can get into or are we expecting or is this something that people should really be thinking about before they actually put down the money? I track numbers with Multnomah County and also just my own. You know, how many carts are opening, how many carts are closing, how many carts are changing hands. And in any given year, 100 to 115 go through some sort of change. Wow. You know, that's a chunk if you're talking five, 600 vendors. Yeah. So, you know, some things work, some things don't. Who, who's helping them? So as someone who's who's been in access to capital and started businesses and, and helped businesses, I think there's, there's always this this rub when, when I'm talking to somebody that has nothing to do with food, but it's in every industry. People know something great. They know how to build something. Or when it comes to food, I eat three times a day. I can do this. This is easy. But they don't think about, well, how do I build a business? What are the tools out there that these car owners can not only make great food, but also keep an eye on their bottom line so they can continue making great food? There are some organizations in town, the Portland Mercado, Mercy Corps, Albina Community Bank, that do offer 
mentoring services, small business services. I would argue that a majority of food cart owners don't ask for help. That's just been my experience in meeting people. It is a very cowboy-esque perspective. Like, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to do this. So whether that translates to success or not, that's a hard one because I don't ask everybody, well, who helped you? You know, right. um, Whether it's for money or whether it's for guidance or whether it's for marketing, etc. Because I've seen people who have dumped tons of money into a cart, branding, PR, hiring a firm to create advertising, and they're gone in three months. You have someone who doesn't do that, does the complete opposite of that, and their cart is white, no branding, and three or four years later, they're opening a restaurant. It's an interesting playing field. I mean, I get asked a lot of questions. I know Stephen gets asked a lot of questions. We both consult, but I'm not a banker. Again, that's a hard one to quantify as to who is helping. Well, I think you're getting to the essence of what's true for all entrepreneurs is you oftentimes you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so even if there is great tools out there, if it's the wild, wild west and I feel like, you know, I'm the man, I'm not going to stop and think, oh, maybe that's a problem. So there is one amazing guide out there that I would love to pitch. Multnomah County put together the food cart playbook. Translated in now, I think, 10 languages. Again, a grant to help them with that. That is actually a guide that's being used statewide. It's actually being used in Washington because other municipalities are being asked the same questions that Multnomah County is. Calling up going, I want to open a food cart. Where do I start? Here's where to start. You mentioned food carts that fail. I've never seen a food cart that I'm aware of fail and been surprised. Usually I see things happen and if they are, if they're available for it, I will talk to them. Usually they're not. And when they go out of business, I'm usually shocked they made it as long as they did. I say that with sadness, but I've never been surprised yet by a cart I've known of that's gone out of business. Well, thanks, Stephen and Brett. Next, we'll meet some food cart owners and maybe do some taste testing when we come right back. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Stephen Green of Elevate Capital, co-hosting with Perry Gruber of Copios. And our topic today is street food, Portland style, where famous food carts and the energy seems to keep on building. Joining us now to share what it's like to start a food cart enterprise are two car owners, Todd Edwards of Ole Latte Coffee and Chris Fontenot from Cajun Life. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. Right. Thanks for having us. How long have you guys had your, your cart so far for each of you? We just actually celebrated yesterday is our uh, four-year anniversary. So our Congrats. birthday just uh, came through, and right it's on. been a lot of fun. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what you – obviously, you are a coffee cart. Yeah. Yeah, so we're Coffee, Coffee Roasters. Where are you located? Uh, yeah, we're located at Southwest 10th Altar. We have two more locations, Southwest 5th and Harrison, up at the Portland State University location for all the wonderful, amazing students and uh, and the, the people around. But downtown has been a real big success for us. How long have you guys been around? Uh, we've been around for four years, yeah. Okay. And Chris? So we've actually been around four years as well. We started out in Damascus, and then uh, now we're located over in Happy Valley. The cart is looking at Happy Valley. It's uh, right off Sunnyside on 145th. And then we have two brick and mortars as well, one of the West side, one on the east side. Well, it's interesting. We were just talking about how for some food cart owners, the business plan includes actually going to brick and mortar. Was that your intention all along? So the restaurants actually were not part of the original business plan packaged, which is what we're uh, into now, was part of the original plan. The, the, The cart was really designed to test market our food. Once we got started, we realized we could kind of run two businesses simultaneously and build off each other's brands. And that's kind of how we've gone now. And that's why we now have the three locations and about to have a fourth that'll be going in. And then what about you, Todd? Did you love coffee and you just 
just wanted to share your passion or how did you get into this? No, actually, it's completely opposite. I thought I loved coffee. I used to <laughs> I used to drink a, a lot of what well, was a mermaid coffee that a lot of people really come to know and because it's kind of all over the world. But I thought they knew what, you know, coffee was. And I thought, well, this is kind of a fun model. Maybe I'll try and see what I could do. My original plan was actually not coffee at all. My original plan was wine. I was been in the restaurant business for a long time and I used to teach people how to taste wine with not the risk of having brick and mortar was a little bit risky. I decided to try, I was actually having a conversation with Stephen Schaumler in a hot tub, and we were just kind of kicking back before we even actually started. That sounds about and right. he said, why don't you, uh, we're drinking wine, of course, you know, we're, we're talking about our stories about what we want to do, and he said, why don't you uh, think about doing a food cart? And I was like, well, wine can't really be in a food cart, Stephen. But the coffee aspect was something I wanted to do in the morning. So like a coffee shop in the morning, wine at night. So I abandoned the wine aspect, but my love and passion for wine translated everything into coffee. And I learned about what specialty coffee was really all about. I started out with a local roastery and then eventually started doing my own coffee. And now here we are, you know, four years later, We've got wholesale accounts. We have some amazing restaurants, Paiche, new upcoming restaurant, Southwest Corbett, and then, of course, Verdigree, which is uh, northeast Portland off 13th and Fremont. Two phenomenal restaurants, just micro style and, and very artisan, and that's just our focus with who we work with, and that's local people. So everything we do is 100% local to Portland. Chris, what were you doing before Cajun Life? So I actually just left my corporate job last September. I was account executive for a large company. Would have celebrated 10 years with them last month, actually. Left them in September to, to focus on the business full-time. Up until then, it was still part-time as far as I'm concerned. The cart operated full-time and our brick-and-mortar operated full-time, but we had managers in place, and I kind of managed from my office. Business is really built for me to be able to do that, though. Unlike, I think, a lot of cart owners who are owner-operators, we weren't intended to be a restaurant, so it was designed to operate very efficiently without me there, and that would allow me to focus on you know, growing the, the package side of the business, in this case, opening more brick-and-mortars, and kind of going from there. So it's very recent that I left. I'm a project manager at heart. And so I, I ask kind of off the wall questions, but from a project manager standpoint, that makes sense. One of them is a red light, yellow light, green light. Okay. So red light, what, what needs yeah. to stop happening? Green light, what needs to continue happening? And the yellow light would be, what are the things people have to work together on to start seeing happening more? You know, honestly, the red light is, is kind of having, you know, with the food carts that we've had a diversity, it would be kind of a really great thing. A lot of people just kind of understand and realize that, you know, this is something of a dream for a lot of people of color that wants to go to a brick and mortar, having that opportunity with other locations for additional food carts would be a really great thing. There kind of seems to be a little bit of a, a stop hold of where places can be established at food carts. So we need to have that open up an opportunity because that's what makes Portland have such amazing food is because we are drawing wonderful, amazing chefs from all over the world. And this is a dream of theirs to open up a fantastic restaurant here in our city. And that's why I think Portland is actually getting recognized for the culinary arts of what's around us. Food carts have been kind of that catalyst of getting those things up and going for us. We've seen a lot of successes. For me, red lights for anybody up and coming is really think it through. This is not easy. You know, it's food service and it's in a cart. So, you know, you put those two together and if you haven't really thought it through, it could be the end of a lot. You work in 100-hour weeks, you know, margins are slim. You have to make sure prices are right. You have to make sure there's a lot of things. It's easier, keyword-er, in there, but this still has to be thought through. It's still a business. Yeah, it's like mom and pop. They make really great food, right? But do they... How do you brand that? Yeah, how do you brand that? But also, how do they know how to run a restaurant? That's yeah. the reality of it. What is the day in the life of a food cart owner like? Time 
always travel out. with your tools. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, my truck is always loaded because there's never, without a fail, something will break, and it always breaks when you're on the opposite side of the city. You know, it's it's going to be hot, especially if you, you deal with gas. Our cart does not deal with a lot of gas, but especially on like what we're going to have this weekend, there should be a lot of sweating cart owners out there and, and operators. What time does a food cart owner typically start? Do they have to prep their food ahead of time? You're there earlier before? than me. My my staff usually is there uh, at least two hours prior to open because we have a dish that takes a minimum of two hours to cook, and during that time while it's cooking, they're prepping for the day. And then in the evening when they're done, do they just close up and leave, or is there stuff that still no, needs to be No, there's another away. half hour, an hour of cleanup, cool down. If it's been a really busy day for that food cart, they've also got to go shopping. That's you right. know, their yeah. day isn't stopped, you know, by just cleaning up, and they've got prep for tomorrow. But oftentimes what they'll do, they'll have to go out, go shopping, come back to the cart, get things more prepped for the day. So when food carts run out of food, it's like, oh, you've only been open for two or three hours. What a great, sweet life that you had, you know, and then that's it. No, that's not true. That's not, not even true at all. So it's prepping all the time and not having a lot of refrigeration in the places. They're not mm-hmm. going into a walk-in cooler. They got a little refrigerator in there, and that's just all they got for the food, and they got to prep it again. And, and so they're just not reaching in the back of the cooler to try and get for the next three days' worth of stuff that's been prepped. It's just for what's for the next day. Well, it's easier to do a food cart than right. a brick-and-mortar. It's to get not started. easy. It, right. To get right. started, yeah. it's yeah. easier to get started. Yeah. It's not necessarily easier to operate. Right. Yeah. Got it. Limited yeah. barriers to entry. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of talk in the city around expanding commercial kitchens, and I think this would directly impact food cart holders yeah. so that they can get economies of scale, buy more food, not have to be shopping every day, mm-hmm. and instead have access to a larger freezer where they have things sitting aside. What do you guys think about that? Are you aware of any work that's been happening around it? Kitchen Crew, I know, is a place that's here local in mm-hmm. Portland that is just a, a place for a commissary that people could you know lock up their dry goods, come in, prep a bunch of food that they can go and send out to their carts. It makes it a lot easier for them, and you know it, it's a nice accommodation. I think that's a really futuristic business plan that's going to hold true for a long time. You know, and help people out. Commissaries are very needed in the food cart world. We're fortunate enough; we're large enough that we can get deliveries, but we have brick and mortar so we can store it. But a single operator, they need a place to store product that they don't have to be going to, you know, the nearest grocery store to pick up bread because they miscalculated their sales for that day or, you know, there was a bigger than normal rush. That's a a big, quite honestly, there's not a lot out there. So the ones that are there are usually pre-booked and you can't get into them, especially on the east side where we originally started. There's like none out there. There's very, very, very few. So the fact that they're starting to, uh, you know, developers and, and even people just have extra space who are starting to convert these, it's, it's a much needed piece for a lot of operators out there. There's a new format of restaurant popping up. They're kind of like pop-ups, but I would call them micro restaurants. Like there's a little, one. there's a little one out on San, off of Sandy. Yeah, um, a little food Gleason. hall over there. Yeah, 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 yeah a little yeah. food hall over there. As food cart owners, do you see those as competitors to what you're doing? No, I think that's going to be the next step for a lot of food cart owners. They're actually going to be stepping into those little micro restaurants and and whatnot. And that might be a new thing that goes around the city mm-hmm. is micro restaurants, and that's just going to be a great thing. But you know, of course. Course, that's another stepping stone for them, and, and it should be a lot of fun. Our Bethany Village location is a micro. It's a step up from a cart, but it's still familiar because they're small. They're usually 400, 500 square feet. So you get kind of the benefit of commercial kitchen, but you still get the to-go aspect of, mm-hmm. a, of a cart. In that strip, there, there's six of us currently, and we all work well together. It's complimentary. So if you imagine like food courts, right? So food court is really popular because you can take the family and, hey, I want this, and my daughter wants that. Same concept, but it's all in one you know centralized location, so they can bounce around 
on just like they would in a pod as well. They get the options, but you still get that step up into a brick and mortar in a familiar aspect versus going directly to a giant commercial kitchen. We just toured a facility yesterday for something totally different, unrelated to us. But I personally, I wouldn't know what to do with the kitchen. It's huge and there's things in there I would not know how to operate. <laughs> but having these smaller micros kind of get you to step up definitely is a learning curve for those who have never worked in a commercial kitchen like myself. I find it fascinating that the real estate market that kind of created this boom in food carts mm-hmm. where property owners had few options of what they could do with their properties downtown right. with now the real estate market turning now those opportunity costs of not having a 10 story building mm-hmm. or 15 story building there yeah. now they're coming up and so now I think you're going to see more Pine Street markets there where it's still you know relatively a, a food pot esque thing but we've built a building because yeah. the real estate died gone to where it just can't be dirt and so I think it'll be fascinating to see how food carts are here to stay but how it meshes with mm. density and 20 minute neighborhoods I love posts um, the bit the project over there Mr. Golden Gate did over there on Mississippi that's a really great dense pod right there but it'll be fascinating to see how this continues to evolve as more people move here and and property continues to become scarcer and scarcer mm-hmm. it's those that are working well and doing doing a, a great job with their business they're the ones that are going to survive and those that are just kind of floating by and, and maybe just barely making ends meet they're just not going to be around but we're going to find out you know who's going to be who here in the next few years with several properties being developed but i think the city and just the overall world really enjoys coming to portland for the scene of what we've created and that is food carts so i, I wanted to ask a question before we go to the break about the difference between the relationships that you have with your customers versus a brick and mortar might have with their customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm from Louisiana originally, so people think Cajun food, they want to meet me, they want to meet my wife, they mm-hmm. want to know our story. We make sure our staff, all of our staff, knows at least the basics of my story and how we got started, where I'm from, where our meats, our meats are shipped up here because you, you really, we want to make sure you get that authentic flavor and that's the only way to really do it properly up here. But all our staff knows, like, what is Boudin? They know what Tasso is, like the big questions, you know, they know where I'm from, so when people ask, because I can't obviously be at all the locations. So we make sure that our story translates to our staff. And when I am there, then it's, of course, they see my picture on the wall. So they're like, hey, I know who you are. I want to talk to you. So going multiple locations for sure, you lose that. You know, like I know a lot of my original customers and love seeing those guys. But if I walked in today, they're all new customers to me because I'm no longer there. So you kind of lose that connection to a certain extent as you grow. But it's, you know, it's to be expected. You can't be everywhere at once. And one of the things that I've had really a lot of success with, and, you know, in all honesty right now, a lot of people ask me and say, when are you going to go brick and mortar, Todd? And I'm like, you know, I, I'm going to tell you right now. Now, I have everything in my cart is 100% Portland. It's amazing, and you're going to love it. These I carts are awesome. <laughs> I mean, I create an atmosphere where when you come, you feel like you're at a really high-end coffee shop. But the thing that I love the most is that it's the person on the other side of that window. One drink, one person at a time yeah. is the way that my business models run. If you're waiting around and you're looking to get something of a fast food drink or something that's just going to be quick and easy without having a high five and a handshake, I'm probably not the one that's going to be that for you. But I still have a substantial amount of people that come in line and wait for us because we are. We're going to give you a high five and a handshake and ask you about how your day is. And I'm going to give you an amazing latte that's going to be a seasonal something signature or something for Bake Shop, which is going to be fantastic. So those are the things. Like my model's not broken. I love it. And I've got three carts. So I'm pretty stoked about it. Well, you got a smile on my face, Todd. Todd <laughs> yeah. Edwards from Olay Latte Company. Thanks for joining us. And Chris Fafano yep. from Cajun Life. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Next up, what to do if you're ready to open a cart or if you're already a cart and decide to go for a brick and mortar after a short break. 
Welcome back. I'm Perry Gruber, co-hosting Biz 503 today with Stephen Green. Food carts are our today's menu, and we've covered what the scene is like in Portland. But what are the challenges of opening a cart? And if you have a cart, how to move on? Joining us now, some folks in the startup or move on transition zone. Karina Rumrill, co-founder of Roots and Blooms, previously of the Cheese Plate PDX food cart, and Don Salome. Salamone. Salamone, thank you. A fine dining chef who is gearing up to launch his first food cart, Burger Stevens. Welcome. And we also have Chris with us from the last segment, Brett from the first segment. So I want to start a food cart. What should I be wary of? I lucked out. I purchased a cart that was just a change of ownership. It's a fully functioning cart. I just had to change a few minor things. Getting it completely legal was very easy. I was really nervous about doing all that, being new to the food cart scene. I just had no idea what I was doing. How did you find that opportunity? At the food cart pod where I'm going to be, I bought it off my neighbor, Ricka, of the fat cart. The cart is amazing. Just needed a paint job. We're opening in two weeks. Burger Stevens. You know, the other aspect, this is a great example of of working within the community, finding a cart, finding an opportunity. Outside of that, there is someone coming to town not knowing anything. And I I mentioned this earlier, Multnomah County is your friend. Multnomah County will help you do all this. But, you know, in the same way, the Better Business Bureau is your friend. There are some unscrupulous people out there that are taking advantage of this scene. And you want to know who those unscrupulous people are and know who the good cart builders are. So do research. Give some specifics on what you're talking about. Um, there have been builders who take money as deposits somewhere in the range of fifteen to $25,000 and they just don't build anything. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to build a cart? $25,000 mm-hmm. to $50,000. This has happened in the past. A number of people have gotten burned by that and usually it's a situation where somebody is taking advantage of an entrepreneur who may not know the right questions to ask. So, you know, those are the things to research. Those are things that organizations like Mercy Corps, organizations like the Better Business Bureau, Albina Community Bank, etc. They'll help you understand those things. So Karina, um, much of what we've talked about so far really centers around Portland has this unique community, it sounds like, when it comes to entrepreneurs and the food industry. Um, I helped start a, a restaurant with some friends of mine in my neighborhood. I was amazed to have the, the Kurt Huffmans of the world, others from the, the industry just show up and say, yeah, we'll, we'll help you. How big has that been for you transitioning from a food cart to bricks and mortar? Oh, it's huge. I mean, we're in the middle of going from food cart to restaurant and we're doing pop-ups. And the entire way that that even occurred for us was through the community. Our friend Steven, who was on earlier, he's involved at Culmination Brewery. And he said, why don't you do a pop-up here and let's see how it goes. And it went really well. And then they wanted us back. The community of bar owners, once we got involved in that, people here, they talk about you. Hey, a so-and-so you know, knows you and they have an opening over here. Why don't you go check it out? It might be a good fit. It's huge. And also the one on community for food carts, I feel is huge. And I feel that my generation of food carts coming in around 2012, we had this group of these carts that were so motivated to help each other, made some of the best friends I've ever made through food carts. And when they do their Kickstarters, you show up and you promote it and you carry their goods and you really try to promote because it only benefits you for food carts to have a good reputation. So really feel that the community, the food cart community, you've got to put yourself out there. You've definitely got to show up and make friends, but people want to help. They want to see you succeed. I definitely agree with that. I mean, like we started around the same time, 2012. That's how I know Karina and met 
met Steven and we know Todd and there's a lot of guys who through social media we've like today is really the first time we've ever met face to face but we've been in contact for years mm-hmm. through social media the car community once you get to know them they're businesses and technically in that sense they're competitors but they're really not because they can help you in so many ways we were helped tremendously when we first started I mean I came from the corporate world and started a car in Damascus <laughs> let's be real I mean I, I was not in Portland it wasn't only you know we were in Damascus so you know Brett came out actually I remember Brett drove out and I had a little pop-up in, a, in the Damascus food market which was the first year ever so it's a little itty bitty thing it's a tight community once you get to know them and they're all willing to help you you just have to ask and don't and don't be afraid to ask because we've all been through it and we know the ups and downs that come with starting out as a car both in the city and in my case out of the city way out of the city so so Brett we've got Don here he's getting ready to start his food cart what are those one or two gems he needs to know that he's probably not going to read about in a book he's not going to hear about from his banker don't leave money in your cart overnight (laughs) (laughs) number two get on social media make sure you have a presence be engaged as much as you can I know it's hard early on but making those connections because that'll help but what I always tell people is if you're doing something different something ethnic something unique have photos people are really drawn to photos on a menu versus just a description and I can't tell you how many times I've walked up and I don't know what something is on a menu and I ask and then when they describe I'm like oh I know what that is I just didn't know the name but like if you do have an amazing burger that you would like to take a photo of that's a big help one that first winter of owning a food cart in Portland don't underestimate how tough that's going to be and make sure you have enough money even if you open at the beginning of the summer which you are save your money and please make sure that you're ready to get through that first winter the other one about photos hey, hang on, before yes, you jump please. away from that the, the reason why winter is so important to be concerned about is because of the oh, drop in customers absolutely or? I mean you'll drop you'll I've drop nightmares significantly <laughs> you know even if you even if you've established yourself over that first summer just be prepared you know be ready for it yes drop significantly people don't want to eat in the rain you know I don't either so I get it and then secondly with photos you know you will have customers taking photos of your food find them because they're taking really good photos and use them and retweet them and you know share them on Instagram that is the majority of our beautiful photos that we have we have a great following they take amazing photographs use them definitely but the marketing one is huge as well people have to know that you're there you have to get in people's mind a little bit or they've got a thousand options so Don lucked out because he found a, a food cart that he could purchase and I presume the food cart came or you had a space already. I had the space before the cart. Correct. So what about someone who is wanting to do a food cart and they don't have a space? How difficult is it in Portland to find space to put your food cart? It's getting more and more difficult. You know, downtown's full. So if you want to be in downtown, if you believe that that's your market, you have to buy into downtown. So your $25,000 cart just became a $50,000 cart. If you want to be on Mississippi Boulevard, you want to be on Hawthorne, you want to be in the cool spots, it's going to cost you to get in there. Are there spaces available for that price or are all yes oh there are there's always a price it's business and i've been there when somebody walked up to a cart and said i'll offer you fifty thousand dollars and the guy closed the door right then so there's always a price if you come to town and you buy a cart there are available spots the question being where are those spots and is that a right spot for you there are three four five new food cart lots that have come online in the last six months some are good some are bad some are okay and so it's really down to the business of can you survive in that spot and I know of three proposals that are in the works right now building food cart lots in Lake Oswego in Milwaukee etc it's hard because I think there are more food cart lots than there are spots right now because we're losing food cart lots due to development people don't want to talk about it yet but it's happening I went to a design meeting this week for a building in downtown so to get into the weeds on that I'm working with a developer on North Williams they got a great property but the property is only going to be available for four months from 
July to October. And they've got an availability to do an interim use. Would there be food cart owners that want to be there for four months? Would they start today? Two weeks. Maybe. But again, you're asking someone to have a really wonderful summer on a busy street and then go find some place in winter. In this rental market, would you only rent a home for four months and not know where you're going to sleep after that? I'm tired of my food cart. People are buying my food like crazy, but I'm burned out and I want to get out of this thing. What are the ways of doing that? Or is it, I want better margins and yeah, there you go. Yeah. I want to keep more money in my pocket yeah. and I don't want to be shopping every day. I yeah. want to shop every three days. Yeah. <laughs> what does that look like, Karina? It looks like a lot of different things because it depends on, on what you want to do next. I think Chris would be really interesting to hear from because he's actually done it. We haven't done it yet. But the main thing that I think when I hear that is these people, we were open for three years, you know, people that were customers that became really dear friends, people that promoted you, that loved you, that showed up for your gigs, that came for your events. Talk to them. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them where they're going to find you. Let them know your plan. Keep them interested. Keep them interested in the interim between point A and point B. Reach out to them. Send emails to your list. You know, keep them engaged and keep them in love with you. I think that's a really important thing. You don't want to lose them in between the two ventures. That's sort of where we're at. But we haven't actually opened the next thing yet. So maybe Chris could speak on yeah, that. Yeah, so for us, from day one, it's always been about our brand. Like We built a brand. And in that brand, there happens to be restaurants and there has to be a cart. and there Well, now two carts. And there has to be packaged goods. We knew from the beginning that this was not just going to be a food car or a restaurant. It was meant to be, it's designed to be something bigger. So for us, it came down to the name we chose, the logo we chose. Everything has to translate to our customers and resonate with what we're trying to build. So right now, I spend the majority of my time on the package side. So just Tuesday of this week, for instance, we signed, I say we signed, we've gotten commitment from Albertson Safeway Portland Division. So our seasonings will now be in all the Portland Division of Albertson Safeway. That was one of the customers that we wanted. We also are down in HEB down in Texas starting in this month. So my time currently is no really it is on the on the restaurants but it's more dedicated to getting to that next level for us which is packaged goods and do you want to stay an owner operator working 80 hours a week in a food cart in 100 degree weather or do you take it to the next level you have to know what that next level is because if you don't you're just going to keep on working 80 hours a week until you burn yourself out and then you're going to shut down and you're going to call it quits and you're going to be like oh I thought I'd just done this differently really thinking it through I think is key than just going by a cart and starting up you got to know your either your exit plan or you got to know what's next and for us it was not to stay in for me to stay particularly in the that data operation so and then what are some of the considerations that a food cart owner should think about if they are moving on to a brick and mortar location have an understanding of your new market because if you're a downtown food cart and you want to move more than likely you're not going to get a downtown spot right? You're not going to get a brick and mortar spot just down the street from your food cart. Is your audience going to move with you? Is your brand going to move? If you're a very specific ethnic cuisine in an ethnic neighborhood (laughs) and you want to move to a different neighborhood, is that going to translate? Understand the market, understand where you're looking at. You know, there's enough information out there about demographics, about census, about, you know, how many cars drive down a street, how many people walk down a street. And if you're moving from street food into brick and mortar, but you're still going to do street food, understand that you need to translate that audience. That's a hard one. Audiences don't move. You could have a thousand people a day in downtown and you go into Southeast Portland and it's three people a day because they don't walk. You know, it's all about the neighborhoods. It's all about the city. There's differences between cities and suburbs and what big differences. Everything that you're talking about is like, is is have a plan, build a business. It's it's not just sit on, I make a great smoothie. You know, (laughs) I I make a great, you know, quesadilla. How do you turn it into a business? Have a plan. Yeah. Have a plan. Everybody has 
That's great recipes. How right? do you make it a business? Transition it, build into a business, think about the other externalities that are involved and grow that, which applies itself to any any industry, it sounds like. Is Portland unique in your guys' perspective or is this something that, that could really happen anywhere in any other city across the country? In terms of food carts? All the special stuff you guys are talking about yeah. here, like the collaboration, the, the openness to be able to Absolutely. engage with the, the public agencies. I mean, all these things, it seems like it's made this kind of perfect gumbo for mm-hmm. us to get nice. to where we I are. I like the today. plug. I like the plug. Thank you. you could have said Rue. You could have. Hey, my <laughs> cart's name is Rue, so. You know, I, that's really a good question because I've asked myself that those first winters, right? So, like, what is this big deal about Portland food carts? This sucks. Like, it's hard. The summers are great, but the winters are really difficult. There's something about the Portland personality that's frugal. People like a deal. People like to get a really good thing for not as much money. And I just think that the whole food cart concept, this communal sort of thing, bands show up, you get a beer out of a mason jar, you know, you can have a little bit of this. Maybe your friend doesn't like Indian, but you like Indian and you can go out with groups. That is Portland and it doesn't cost you a lot of money. So on your Friday night, you can spend 15, 20 bucks and have a great night out with your friends. And then if you want, go hit a bar, you know, and have a late night. So it makes perfect sense. I think it's completely unique. I mean, I've heard it compared to Austin. The weather there is better. But to me, the Portland personality to me makes perfect sense for the food car model. Having traveled extensively eating street food around the nation and around the world, Portland is is unique. But it's it's unique in beyond the street food. It's unique in how our beer collaboration occurred over 30 years. It's it's unique in how the beer laws were helped created by wine people who didn't done it in the 70s. I mean, we could go back further and further about collaboration. We have chefs in this city who worked under other chefs who worked under other chefs in this city and are now you know have you know the number one restaurant in the city. Instead of a fighting culture in our culinary cuisine, we have a collaboration culture, and that's not, not just in the food carts. That's that's across the board. You'll have service employees walk into a, a fellow restaurant and eat there, and it's not butting heads like you like the Gordon Ramsay model of screaming. We don't do that here, and we haven't done that for 30 years, and that's what's created this amazing environment that is Portland's food and drinks. And as you think about like some of the other cities, big cities who are trying to replicate the Portland culture, and the issue is not legislation or anything. I mean, yes, that plays, but the, the big issue is that if Brett had a restaurant next door to mine, well, we are no longer buddies. Like that's the mentality of a lot of other bigger cities, and it's not the mentality here. I mean, I am in contact with a lot of restaurant owners and, and food car owners, and we all work together. Like, hey, I'm doing this. Have you tried that yet? And he's like, oh no, I haven't tried that. But if you tried this, like, it's not. We're different food, and the culture here, coming from out of the state, is is very unique in that. Like Karina said, you want a good gourmet meal, but you don't necessarily want to go to have to sit down for it. You yeah. want to enjoy those summer days yeah. outside, walking the streets of Portland. I mean, I live in the suburbs, so when I like like coming into the city for me, like today's been a while because I've got a two year old. So it has, I haven't been sitting well. And it's like, oh man, I forget how much I love coming downtown. Like it, yeah. it's just a it's a different vibe. Well, and it seems like food's such this equalizer in Portland. I know when I go to the Bay Area, you go to fancy places, and when when my friends come here from the Bay Area, they would never eat at a food cart in San Francisco. But when they're in Portland, they're like, oh, well, I gotta I gotta go get something sloppy from these trucks down here or from the from the food carts and eat it. And a buddy of mine left Nike to start Deadstock Coffee downtown, and, and it's this magical place where it's the only building in town where people from Adidas and people from Under Armour and people from Nike all get along. <laughs> it's like this magical place around, you know, food and beverage. You think about the different styles of food that are in a food cart that if you were sitting down in the restaurant, I joke all the time, like if I had a, like a full-on weight, state, like a weight table restaurant, we'd have to talk, charge two, two and a half times our current prices. And people know that. They yeah. know they're getting chef quality food out of carts. It's no longer the roach coaches, for lack of better terms, of the old days that a lot of other cities still deal with. You don't get that here. You, I mean, there probably are a few of them in there. But for the most part, you have full 
echelon chefs yeah. who are in these carts working and that you'd be paying two, three, sometimes four times the amount if they put the exact same portion on a plate with a waiter. It's very unique to Portland that you can get this gourmet food for under 10 bucks mm-hmm. in most cases. Well, this has been amazing, you guys. We really want to thank you for being here and spending some time with us. Don, good luck. Thank and you, sir. Thanks we're for sorry me. at the same time. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. Winter's coming. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. 